Hey everybody, this is Armando Torres, and you're listening to the show before the show. And I'm Paige Wesley. And with us we have... One of our first episodes on yoga. <laughs> and that is technically true, and you'll find out why later in the episode. That'll make sense later in the episode. Uh, we have got a great episode. We're finally done with our series on the Nazis, and Paige has brought us something so nice and fun and juicy, and it's so good, and I can't wait to dive into it. Um, I'm having a blast so far. This first episode was great, and I'm hoping uh, that you will enjoy it as much as I have. And I sound weird because I'm a little high because I got food poisoning, which I will go into. into, uh... Actually, I don't even think I do. I have food poisoning. Deal with it. Thank you for being here. (laughs) Uh, Without any further ado, let's hop into this show. Hello. Hello. That was a that was a fake part. Don't drink the Kool-Aid. For the purposes of this podcast, we define a cult as organizations that rally behind an entity or leader who espouse beliefs outside the norm. Organizations that require physical or monetary sacrifice as a condition of membership. Organizations in which the doctrines followed by the leaders are different than that of the followers. Organizations in which isolation is encouraged either by commune living or by a policy of disconnection from outside relationships. And organizations that actively recruit new members. All cults might have some or all of these traits, and as always... These are our opinions. Thank you for tuning into Cult Podcast. I'm Paige Wesley. And I'm Armando Torres. And with us we have... The sweet feeling of food poisoning, baby. (laughs) Ride that toilet to the sunset. Hell Um, yeah. My fucking asshole feels like the surface of the sun right now, baby. Might as well be dumping on the sun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. What's up? It's your boy. I'm fucking I'm fucking crossfaded right now. I'm on a little bit of weed. I'm sipping that milk of magnesia, baby. Uh I'm uh, you know, hey, fuck my I'm gonna fuck around and pop a couple tums right quick, you know? Mm. You know how I do. Mm-hmm. I'm out here. Uh I am am wearing a, a nutcracker sweatshirt that says let's get cracking if you have any, <laughs> you know, questions about my mental state. So yeah, it's a weird day. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. I texted Paige at five in the morning and said, hey, can we push this recording back? Because it's five in the morning and I've been shitting for the <laughs> last several hours. you from the floor of the bathroom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, but you know what? We're here. We're here to do it. And we've survived worse. We just got through yeah. six straight weeks of the Nazis. That is true. That is true. That is true. And yeah. we're we're taking it for a little bit of a turn. Uh, this episode is technically three years in the making. Ooh. So we first started getting tips from people in the community, in Facebook, Discord, uh, Twitter, Instagram, everywhere, uh, about Yogaville. And the problem at the time was there was just not a ton of info. There was some, but not like... A bunch um and it seemed weird but mostly harmless and people lived close and they were worried but we didn't have a lot of other details um and in some cases they had heard the accusations of sexual abuse then we're going to go over in the next episode 
but without a ton to go on, it kind of sat in our files for a bit. If you're curious about like what else is in those files uh, that's been around in the files for that long, Church of Wells in Texas stays mm. in that file all the time. Uh, someday we'll get to it. Uh, and Ramp of School of Enlightenment, that's been in the file for easily that long. But that's kind of where it sat with like whatever we could find until the beginning of pandemic started and we were gifted from Big Daddy Netflix with Tiger King. <laughs> God, do you remember those days when we all thought, hey, this is going to blow over in what? One, two, three weeks max? <laughs> yeah, we're going to be home for two weeks. I remember being in my office and my direct report, uh, the person I like my supervisor at the time was like, well, I'll see you in two weeks. What are you going to do? And I was like, I'm going to break so much bread. And then I just like left and never stopped making bread. And it's been two years and, and I'm almost tired of bread. Yeah. I've moved Eventually. on to cheese and candy and all kinds of crazy things. <laughs> Eventually that fucking, uh, the pandemic is going to loosen up and we're going to move the giant boulder that we've had in front of your door and open <laughs> it up and just, it's everything is covered in bread. I've just breaded the entire interior of my apartment. <laughs> and we just have to realize, oh my God, she never stopped. She turned her whole house into a bread bowl. She built a bread and breakfast. <laughs> Oh, oh, air, bread, God. and breakfast. Um, yeah, so that's when we started kind of looking into some of this. So if you remember from the original Tiger King series, we got a brief glimpse into the craziness that is Bhagavan Doc Antle, and they only briefly mention Yogaville in it, where he's like, yeah, I learned all of this at Yogaville. And I was like, what is that? Some sort of like strip mall yoga place? Like what is, this doesn't sound like a real place. I was literally just about to say that Yogaville sounds like a building that would be next to a wing stop somewhere. Like yeah, in next between to a wing stop, a wing stop and a liquor store that you, and then a Chuck E. Cheese on the at. end, but like a bad Chuck E. Cheese oh, yeah. where like the animatronics clearly aren't working, but they just don't give a fuck. Like 14 <laughs> kids have died in that tunnel and they're just like, we still got pizza. What you going to do? Yes. That's what I picture. Uh, and so I started digging into it mainly because I wanted to know more about Doc Antle. And then Big Daddy Netflix blessed us again with the Doc Antle documentary, which goes into a little bit more of the later days of Yogaville that are actually, we're going to talk about in the next episode and the one after. But as I started digging into just Yogaville on its own, it's a fucking wild story. Like, even, like, Tiger King aside, there is wildness enough for days on its own. So I'm super excited to get into it. Are you ready for some sources? Absolutely. All right. So number one. We are using the yogaville.org website. We do pull from their website, their about page, their code of conduct page. It's going to come in a lot more next time. And a lot of just their informational uh, stuff in their page about the organization and how it's run now. I'll get into that in a sec. Next, we have tripadvisor.com. <laughs> because you could stay at Yogaville if you want to. Like, Anyone can stay there. You just have to book a stay. Ah. Yeah. So it, Which, it is also an air, uh, an air bread and breakfast. 
Yes, it is an air bread and breakfast with a giant lotus in the middle. Um, it's actually, full disclosure, it is beautiful. <laughs> like, it's one of those things that you see pictures of and you're like, I fully get why people would want to be here. <laughs> like, this is beautiful. Uh, then we have an article by NPR called Broken Jobless. There's always Yogaville. We'll get into that later. Mm-hmm. And then we have a book called Home Fires by Donald Katz. So Donald Katz and his family lived very, very close to Yogaville and even inside Yogaville for a time. And so Home Fires is basically his book about their family and their history as a family. But it includes a number of chapters about their time at Yogaville and the things that they experienced. I don't know how thrilled I would be to be a member of a family where the book about our life was called house fires, home fires. Well, and I think in part they are there at and around Yogaville during when things start to go not so great. Mm. And so I think that's probably part of it. Although I'm sure other things happen in their family. I only was able to pull the excerpts about Yogaville. Um, This is a perfect time to actually announce uh, my upcoming biography about my family life called Water Damage. Uh, (laughs) I pissed on stuff when I was drunk. Now I have to replace it. (laughs) If anyone's got a lead on like new towels, I would appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Go find it in... um, in borders bookstores and <laughs> i mean that literally whatever the borders bookstore in your town became go in there there's go a book in there. in there it's hidden is it a dick sporting goods now no it's not <laughs> go in there it's just an empty building yeah check in all of the roofs like push up those little panel things that they have it's in, it's there you just it's gotta there. find it you'll find it fight off the animals that have taken residence and cut through the vines <laughs> that have grown over the borders and you'll find it Oh, God. Uh, Maybe wet, though, because, you know, water. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So we also have an article by the Associated Press from August 2nd, 1991, uh, which is Swami's former followers say he demanded sexual favors. Uh, And then a similar article from the Richmond Times-Dispatch literally the same day, August 2nd, 1991. So I think some of that reporting crosses over uh, and they're just listed different places, but it's Ex-followers say Swami demanded sexual favors. Then we have an article from the New York Times called Yoga and Sex Scandals. No surprise here. That's not my, that's the name of the title. Yeah, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not like, no surprise here. Like, no, that's, they said it, not me. Uh, <laughs> what, did it, what did it, so, what, uh, what would that be? A, um, an association, I guess, or a claim to make of just like, ugh, you know how yoga always has to do with sex favors. <laughs> I think it's just me editorializing. It's yeah. just like, you know how them stretchy bitches be getting it in? <laughs> like uh, now, class, we're going to get into downward facing doggy style. Yeah. Ooh. Let me see that ass, baby. There you go. Uh, then we have an article from Bustle.com, which is actually a really great, super interesting article. Uh, but it's, what is Yogaville uh, Swami Satchidananda's teachings explained? Mm. Then we have, from the Hindustan Times, uh, Swami Sivananda, oldest man ever, says no sex, no spice, daily yoga key to age. We'll come back to that. Because we also have the Guinness Book of World Records entries on the oldest man. It's not that guy. I'll yeah. just tell you right now. I figured it wasn't the guy whose uh, article on his teaching was the ingredients for the Powerpuff Girls. No <laughs> yeah. sex, all spice, spice, and everything, everything nice. Everything nice. 
then we have a vice.com article about uh, Indian culture appropriation and Doc Antle. And then we have an article from The New Yorker, Yoga Reconsiders the Role of the Guru in the Age of Me Too, which is actually a really interesting article as well. Uh, we have a UK research project on pre-World War One India. And then we have obituaries for Swami Sachidananda from mm -hmm. The New York Times, The LA Times, and The SF Chronicle. And we have the book, Light on Yoga by BKS Iyengar. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to have to do this to you because I hate it, but it's actually pronounced uh, Gorbels. So <laughs> Gorbels. Gorbels. Uh, Sachi Dananda. I I was practicing earlier today, and I mm -hmm. just remember watching the Doc Antle documentary where like multiple people are just like Sachi Dananda with like no issue, and I'm like, man, I admire all of y'all. Yeah, because I can't. I'm going to struggle. The way anyway. that I do it now is I find a YouTube video where people, somebody reputable is like talking about this person. And I listen to how they say their name probably five times. And mm -hmm. then I just write it phonetically in the thing every single time. Here's the terrible thing. It is written phonetically. <laughs> like it's, there's no mystery about the letters. It's just a lot of them next to each other. Hey man, yeah. I get it. You know how many yeah. times I've been called Armando or so Mando? Many. So I many. Hate I hate it so much. That's not my name. That's not my name. <laughs> okay. So this episode has to come with a ton of disclaimers so I don't get a million emails and or sued. So let's get into it. Number one, I don't hate yoga in general. I actually really like it. I find it calming. It's great for flexibility. Uh, it's low impact. It can be adapted for people with different physical abilities and body shapes. And all of that is great. What we are talking about today is one specific guy, one specific group, and some problematic shit going on in yoga groups and specifically gurus in general. Uh, which brings me to point number two. It should come as no surprise on this show that we don't like gurus uh just remember the gurus are just people they're people like you and me they should always be questioned that doesn't mean that you can't listen to people and gain insight from some of the things you they say but you should absolutely not take one person's every word as fact ever this goes for everybody question all gurus actually Paige, i'm gonna uh take a step back for a second and say that you have it half right yes gurus are people just like me and you ascended beings who are better than the rest of society <laughs> and as such we deserve everything that we want even if it comes at the physical harm of others <laughs> oh man Bad yeah we take. fucking we fucking we hate gurus it's awful yeah, well, I, I, here's the thing. I, I feel like saying we hate gurus is a, like, real harsh stance, but I feel like question all gurus should be the norm. Yeah. Question everybody. Question, yeah, question every single person you've ever met in your entire life. Oh, I was going to say, somebody doesn't have to be a guru to have good insight or advice. Sometimes your friend Absolutely. who's a dumb asshole says something really profound. Yeah. And you know? also, I mean, I'm 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 being literal. Lean into it. Question everyone. 
all of your bedrooms should be corkboard with yarn going across the entirety <laughs> of the room because you should be questioning every single person's motives all the time. Always. Find out who they're working for. This goes all the way to the top or the bottom, depending on if you're standing on your head because this is yoga. This is actually a, is a very versatile mystery. It tops and bottoms. Yeah. It goes all the way to the top and the bottom. And the bottom. Okay. Uh, now, uh, finally, to avoid getting sued, mm-hmm. we're going to talk a lot about Swami Satchidananda and the Yogaville Ashram in Virginia, and we're going to specifically talk about some of the problems that occurred there from the late 70s through the 1990s. That said, since the death of Swami Satchidananda, Yogaville is now run by multiple boards of advisors and includes a very specific and actionable code of conduct to prevent a lot of the behaviors that led to some of the issues that arose under Swami Satchidananda. They don't always have the best quotes or sound bites as far as believing women goes. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would say there's a lot left to be desired there. But on the whole, they've definitely shifted from a model of one man's absolute leadership to a more modern, egalitarian, and likely safer group. They're not perfect, but I do want to highlight this And we'll bring in some of their modern rules as contrast as we go through, mostly in the next episode. Just so that everyone knows. Like, changes were made maybe a little too late because people got hurt. But, like, you know, just putting it out there. Especially if you decide to go to Yogaville's website and take a look at it. I do recommend looking at their code of conduct, which has definitely been updated recently. So. Take a look at that. <laughs> it's a it's a classic case of if there's a sign for it, there's definitely a reason. Yeah, yeah, we'll get to it. Um, so let's get into Yogaville. So Satchidananda Saraswati, also known as Swami Satchidananda, was born as C.K. Ramaswamy Gowder or Gounder, sorry. Uh, December 22nd, 1914. And this is not an awesome time or place to be born. Um, India was actually still fighting for independence from the British at the time, a fight that would not formally conclude until 1947. And in 1914, Europe and the rest of the world was in turmoil because everyone was fighting. Wait, what? Yes. When was this? 1914. What, what, What happened? Oh, we'll get to it. (laughs) So (laughs) most people view the impetus for the First World War as the assassination of Archduke Franz Ferdinand in Sarajevo on the 28th of June in 1914. However, Britain had actually already declared war on Germany (laughs) basically that same year. So... That assassination was kind of a foregone conclusion. War was going to happen no matter what. Britain is well on their way to being at war. It doesn't even matter. Yeah. Um, the assassination and, just makes it official. Yeah. And, and I hate to victim blame here, but he was kind of asking for it. I mean, he was literally singing, take me out. Yeah. Take me out. Uh, so <laughs> as Britain and France are at war against Germany, uh, in both Europe and in Africa, largely over maintaining their colonized ports, Britain demanded the aid of their imperial troops. And if you were from one of the colonies in Britain's empire, you had no choice but to fight Britain's battles for them. So in this case, 
Indian soldiers arrived in Europe in September of 1914. Um, the first troops arrived in France, specifically in Marseille. In March of 1915, they provide half of the attacking force at the Battle of Neuve-Chapelle, which loses basically the most lives of this early stage of World War I. And in 1918, as the war is starting to kind of wind down, India had sent over one million soldiers to go fight in the war and gotten fractions of them back because the British would always put their imperial troops on the front lines. So basically, the British viewed them as expendable. And it's ruining things like the economy, families are losing people. It's a dark time. And this is the world that Satchitananda is born into. Now, his family is actually considered kind of middle class, but only because they had a trade that would occasionally cater to the British as well as fellow Indians. His family owned what's basically just described as a car business, air quotes. Uh, there's not a ton of detail about it. It sounds like maybe they sold cars, and they might. It's possible. But from what I was able to find, I think they were a full-service mechanic shop. Hmm. Um, and again, cars are still kind of newish at the time. They've been around for less than 100 years, basically, at this point. Um, and he was a welder. So he was like the master welder in their car shop. So at this time... He is successful enough to be able to marry. Remember, both in Western and Eastern culture at the time, dowries and financial responsibility are still very much a factor in marrying people. So he does get married and he has two children with his wife and then she dies five years later. There's not a ton of information as to how. Um, it's hard to even find his wife's name in a lot of the sources. I suspect she died of an illness. Um, the only thing we know is that it wasn't childbirth, at least from what we can tell, because they would have either listed that he had an additional baby or lost an additional baby, and they didn't. But he takes it hard. He's only 28 at the time, and he literally abandons his entire life to go on a quest for spiritual enlightenment. He leaves the kids with his grandma, or their grandma, his mother, and he basically goes outside for God cigarettes and never comes back. <laughs> yeah. Hey, sometimes you just got to fill that spiritual nicotine rush, you know? Right, right, right. And, you know, they were out of God patches and God lozenges. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. got to go. <laughs> so he travels for another seven years and studies under dozens of different spiritual masters at the time when he eventually finds a Hindu monk named Swami Sivananda who's the founder of the Religious Divine Life Society. Now, we don't have time to talk about Divine Life Society today, but we will fucking find some time in the future because there's plenty to talk about. But mainly, I want to highlight one very specific quirk about Swami Sivananda. What did Beyonce and Swami Sivananda have in common? They're both probably lying about their age. Oh. Let's get into it. <laughs> I thought they both fucked Jay-Z. I mean, that too. Yeah. Jay-Z is actually an immortal being that's been around forever. Look it up. <laughs> yeah, look it up. Look it up. I forgot to include that in sources, but it's definitely true. So, <laughs> uh, Sivananda and Satchidananda worked <clears throat> together in the mid-50s when Satchidananda was in his mid-30s to early 40s. 
Sivananda was a contemporary, which means that he could be anywhere from 86 years old if he was younger than Satchidananda when they met, to a little over 100 if they were exactly the same age, or 120-ish if he was older when they first met. Now, he does look super old. Credit where credit is due, he looks old as fuck. <laughs> but in 2016, he began, he began claiming that he was the oldest man in the world. And at the time, he claimed to be 120 years old. He's now claiming to be 125, about to turn 126. Hmm. Yeah. And no one has ever lived that long on modern record. He claims it's because he abstains from sex, drugs, and everything else that's fun. So here's the thing. Living that long would be kind of a medical miracle regardless. And so whenever people claim that they're that old, a bunch of people try to go verify it. And almost always, like, people claim, like, there was the lady, like, earlier this year who's like, I'm actually 200 years old. And they went out there and were just like, no, she's like 80. Like, knock it off. Yeah. <laughs> like, people always go to try and verify. So specifically, he tried to have the Guinness World Record people verify it. Now, a few things about the Guinness World Record people. It's a full-blown scam that people can pay to have records created and request reviews. It's <sighs> If you're super interested in it, John Oliver does a segment on it for his coverage on the president of Turkmenistan, Gurban Guli Bernie Mohamedov. Mm -hmm. And... That guy has tried to obtain multiple world records. It's like a thing that like autocrat world leaders do where they constantly try to get world records. I find it very funny, but I digress. Yeah, it's like a Webby. Yeah, it's like a Webby. <laughs> also, uh, and I hate to correct you, but it's actually uh, Goebbels Gary Mahamana. <laughs> It's that's one that I've said enough times in recommending that episode that I feel like I can actually get it right. Yeah, I butchered it completely. Yeah. What is it one more time? Gerben Guli Bernie Mehmedov. Okay, yeah. I said yeah. what did I say? Goebbels Jerry Goebbels Jerry <laughs> Goebbels Jerry Bernie Mama Say Mama Sama Mikusama. Mama Say Mama Masama Makusa. Um so I digress. According to the Guinness people, questionable though they are. And everyone else who has tried to verify Sivananda's age. The only documentation he has around his age is his current passport for which he provided the age. God damn it. Yeah, I was going to say, he basically just has a piece of printer paper with crayon on it that says, I'm old, <laughs> I, I swear. I'm 126. Uh, so it's not considered an accurate record of his age. And no one as yet has been able to prove that he is as old as he is. I don't super buy it. Anyway, back to the story. Uh, that I mean, but it's one of those things where like, this is why you have to be really careful when you pull sources because so many like multiple newspapers are like oldest man in the world says, and I'm like, he's not the oldest man in the world. There is another living guy that's verified <laughs> that is an old guy. And this guy has not been able to verify it. Anyway, that's what I'm saying. Watch what you read on the internet. Back to the story. He and Satchidananda met in 1949 and he initiates Satchidananda into being his own spiritual master. This is actually how he gets the name Satchidananda. Um, and it allegedly means existence, knowledge, bliss, absolute. Hmm. 
Yeah, which sounds like, I mean, I feel like that should be on a tank top at an Orange Theory or a CrossFit. (laughs) 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 Just like sweat stains through it. Yeah, Yeah. God, give it to me one more time. Existence, knowledge, bliss, absolute. Like put that on a Hydra flask and you've got Peloton. (laughs) Those sound like different flavors of weed vape. Oh, man. Absolute vape. So good. I don't know. I'm more partial to bliss myself. Yeah. Shit. Yeah. Anyways, until the mid 50s, they actually worked together with Satchitananda forming his own branch of the Divine Life Society and joining Sivananda on tours. Now, I'm not sure what exactly it was. It could have been that he knew Sivananda was lying about his age, maybe, or that he just thought he was a weird, annoying, like, piece of shit. Not sure. But something changed. And Satchitananda is like, I'm cool. You're terrible. I'm going to do my own thing. I'm going to take this other branch of Divine Life Society that I've opened in your name and turn it into something that's just me. And I think part of it is Satchitananda realized that he was cultivating a very specific audience. Young, wealthy, and often white. Hmm. Which we talked about this on a couple different episodes. Sai Baba did the same. Um, It's a lot of white kids going to Asia to find themselves at this time and joining ashrams. So for another 10 years... He shapes what was formerly his Divine Life Society ashram into his own ashram. And according to most accounts, this is where he meets a man named Peter Max. Now, I will talk to Andrea about this at another time. Uh, but Peter Max deserves his own episode of Podvant Guard. A hundred percent. It's super fascinating. I'm just going to give you cliff notes here in hopes that they do it another time. So... Peter Max was born in Berlin, the son of German Jews, Salah and Jacob. They fled Berlin in 1938 when Peter was only a year old. But unlike a lot of people, they didn't flee into Europe or America. They fled to China where they lived for years, like literally a full decade. He spends most of his childhood in Shanghai. In 1948, as the war is winding down, they actually moved to Israel, which a lot of Jews did at the time because it's a new state and there's a lot of push for Jewish people to move there. Now, granted, it is an ethno state drawn by people who had no idea who was living there at the time or what borders they were drawing or why. There's a lot of problems with it, but that's why his family ends up there. From there, they moved to Paris, where his mother, who kind of recognizes that Peter has some artistic ability, enrolls him in classes at the Louvre. Until finally, as he's going into high school, they settle in Brooklyn in 1953. By 1956, he had actually enrolled in the Art Students League of New York, famous for also studying or for teaching Norman Rockwell and a handful of others. So like super prestigious. And he and his friends start a small studio in the mid 60s, producing pop art collages because this is the birth of pop art, I would say, basically. Mm-hmm. Warhol, Andy Warhol. Warhol. Yeah, this is Warhol's time, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, now, the art they were creating at the studio eventually gets them noticed by the media elite. 
and he gets hired to create art for TV commercials. Most famously, in 1968, he does the ad for 7-Up, the Uncola, and the logos for 7-Up, which helped drive the sales of both 7-Up, but also his art posters. It was one of the first time that people were like collecting ads because they looked cool, uh, and he's one of the first. In 1967, he becomes a huge counterculture icon because he designs the flyers for the second B-In in New York's Central Park. So he ends up doing tons of work for bands and everything around this time. Now, in 1970, he publishes a book of all of his band posters and artworks, and it sells incredibly well. 1971, he produces a second book of posters because of the sales from the first one. And within the book in 1971, he includes, uh, I guess... Uh, it's difficult how to categorize this. He claims in that second book that he worked on the Beatles' Yellow Submarine. Hmm. Now, everyone in the Beatles camp denies that he worked on Yellow Submarine. But here's the thing. It absolutely looks like his art. Like, very, very much so. Uh, Yellow Submarine is officially attributed to Heinz Edelman, but... I would like to show you and quickly compare the two. Okay. Are you ready? Okay. So. Share screen. All right. So this is Peter Max's artwork. This is Hans Edelman. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like, I mean... There's definitely some similar inspirations going on, I would say. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so there it remains a debate to this day as to whether or not he is an uncredited contributor to some of the artwork on Yellow Submarine or uh, that it is just a like parallel thinking kind of thing or that his style is just completely ripped off by this other artist. I would say the other artist does a bunch of other stuff, so it's probably a parallel thinking mm. thing at worst, uh, or he contributed and wasn't credited. But it could also he, be it could also be one of those things where like they, you know, when one person is overseeing the artwork, somebody comes in to make a couple contributions and then mm -hmm. isn't like this is not the same level, but this is something I just found out. Did you know that uh, what's his name? Ha Hans Zimmerman, right? The Hans Zimmer, the composer. Yeah, did I say Hans Zimmerman? <laughs> oh God, no. Uh, Zimmerman, terrible person. But um, Hans Zimmer, I found out that basically when they make music, uh, that's just like whenever he's credited, that's just like his company. Like he has oversight. Mm. Uh, but then, like, uh, what was it? The guy who did the songs for uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Like, he wrote, like... So that's yeah. credited. We all remember it. Of yeah. course, absolutely. And now you won't be able to have it out of your head for the entire day. You're welcome, everyone. Damn it. Uh, but the guy who actually wrote that uh, was the person who did the music for Game of Thrones. Uh, oh, that makes so much sense in the world. Da, da, na, 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 
Yeah, that's exactly that. Yeah, uh-huh. and great. Now you'll have that in your head for the rest of the day. Fuck. <laughs> but yeah, so yeah. sometimes people are, you know, they're not widely credited, and I can't tell you how many times that like. I know people who work in the industry of arts and I know arts are different and I know, you know, things have changed, but there is no way that you're going to know everyone who's doing all of the work on like your fucking key yes. art, your, sh- your other stuff. Like if you, you know, animators, whatever, you know, they're bringing in so many people, especially at a time when everything had to be done by hand instead of mm-hmm, a computer. Mm-hmm. So that's all that I'm saying. I'm playing devil's advocate. There, back then especially, is such a higher uh, potential that somebody contributed without being actually credited. Yeah, and, and it's, I mean, it's so close in style that I'm like, I mean, I would believe that maybe something happened and yeah. he wasn't credited. That sounds plausible to me. But anyway, so... uh. All of this is happening in the late 60s. So in 1966, right before a bunch of this is going to happen, because as we all know, in the entertainment industry and ad industry and everything, these things are planned months in advance. Yeah. So in 1966, Peter Max has a lot of these contracts already. He's got buzz around him. He's been putting out these really evocative pop culture collages. People love them. He's living pretty high on the hog. And he decides to take some time for spiritual reflection in India, which is where he meets Swami Sachinanda. Swami Sachinanda. So there's differing stories on this meeting, but what everyone seems to agree is that in 1966, Peter brought Sachinanda to America with him, where he promptly opened up a yoga teaching center in New York called the Integral Yoga Institute. And at this moment, I'd like to talk a little about yoga in America at the time. Now, according to Yogaville's website, quote, Swami Sachidananda, ah, fucking fuck. Swami Sachidananda was one of the first yoga masters to bring the classical yoga tradition to the West after he was invited to America in 1966 by pop artist icon Peter Max. I'm going to stop y'all right there. They're doing something very tricky uh they do this in a lot of other places we'll go through a little bit more of it but where they say was one of the first Mm -hmm. that gives them a lot of leeway because i'm gonna stop us nearly every yoga guru who comes to the u.s for the next 15 to 20 years during this period will claim this same shit except for the pop artist peter max part but they will claim that they're one of the first people to bring insert yoga here to America and it is full nonsense every time every time yoga has been in the United States in some form or another for over a hundred years a full ass hundred there are verified historical records from Madame Helena Blavatsky doing yoga with contemporaries who had been practicing yoga for years themselves we've covered other people on this show who were practicing yoga for decades before this happens. Most of these people have learned by traveling overseas and it wasn't as widely accepted as it was today, but it was by no means new or strange. In fact, even if we disregard their like air quotes version of yoga, 
One of Satchidananda's contemporaries beat him to it by opening a yoga school in the 50s and publishing a book called Light on Yoga in 1965, a full year before he even meets Peter Max. But this is a thing that a lot of people will claim at the time, and it's a thing that will play into our next episode as well. It's this idea of building legitimacy around your narrative, where when somebody says they're the first to bring something here or the first to discover it, people believe them and they think that gives them an air of knowledge and legitimacy and a reason to listen to what they say. But whenever somebody says they're the first to do something, fucking Google that shit. Yeah, especially because when they use that terminology, no. fucking one of the first. One of, yeah. Which is like, I could say the same thing about so many things. I could say, technically, I could say I'm one of the first people to introduce Paige to hip hop. Yeah, I mean, you could. I could. You'd be wrong, Yeah, but you, but you could say that. I've shown her multiple hip-hop songs, stuff she hasn't heard before, rap music that she wasn't familiar yeah. with. So now I can claim I'm one of the first people who ever I introduced mean, Paige to hip-hop. We're one of the first cult podcasts. <laughs> Ignoring the fact that Last Podcast on the Left has been around for a full-ass almost decade before us. Like, do you see what I'm saying? Where it's like that one of us piece is deceiving. Yeah. And they actually go into more of it. So from their website, he they have like bullet points of like things that he did first. And one of them is created the first created one of the first yoga teacher training and certification programs. Uh no. I, the only reason I would say that they can kind of claim this is because his included, like, you get a certificate, like, you document it, uh, but it's happening at the same time as a lot of other people. It's definitely not the first one outside the U.S., for sure. Uh, next, he initiated one of the first yoga programs in prisons and drug rehab centers. Again, maybe, um, but a lot of that happens at this time, and they may not have been the first, and they're definitely not the first outside of the U.S. Uh, they claim to have founded the first yoga magazine. Probably. I don't know. I'll give them that one. Who cares? <laughs> uh, they also, they then claim that they established one of the first residential yoga ashrams. Absolutely not. Those have existed for hundreds of years in India, and there are records of some existing almost 100 years ago in the U.S. It's full bullshit. Finally, they created translation and commentary on the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali, which became a top-selling edition of the Yoga Classic. Sure, fine, I guess. Great. Yeah. You can claim that. But all of this is this fake legitimacy. It's this like, oh, no, we did all these things. We were one of the people to do these things. And it's like, no, people did this decades before you. You don't get to claim this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But what cannot be denied about him at this time is that he was widely popular. He was cool and hip. He hung out with artists. He was charismatic. And he arrived in America at exactly the right time. He hit the counterculture movement on the upswing and his message of non-materialism, world peace, and generally just chill vibes really resonated with young Americans who were frustrated by a world that didn't seem to understand them or care about their views and beliefs. So it should come as no surprise that Swami Satchitananda got asked to give an opening invocation at one of the biggest events of 1969, the Woodstock Music Festival. Oh, double nice. And that's where we will pick up next week. Whoa. Holy shit. Also, um, 
I, I got a quick little correction to make. Uh, mm. So I'm one of the first people to lie to the cold podcast <laughs> audience. <laughs> Apparently, I looked up that thing that somebody had just told me about uh, Klaus. What's his face? The guy who did Pirates of the Caribbean music with Hans Zimmer. Oh, yeah. He totally did not do the music for Game of Thrones, which is... What? They sound so much alike. Yeah, exactly. Which is, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's a lesson in something. It's how easy it is to lie to people. Well, no, I mean, I think this is exactly like Peter Max and uh, Hans Edelman, where it's like, which came first, chicken or the egg? Are they just inspired by each other? Is this like, how yeah. is this going down? Why? When did one happen? Did they work together? Who knows? Instrumentation is very similar. They probably, I mean, like even when you sang it, it sounds so sonically it's, the same. It's that dun 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 dun. Yeah. 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 It's uh, it's crazy. And so yeah, leave it in now because. It's, oh no! For sure! For sure! For sure! But yeah, for anyone who drafted the tweet before you finished the episode how do you fucking feel now i knew i was wrong <laughs> i looked it up immediately after i said it and went oh fuck oh god no yeah one of <laughs> the things that we said in this podcast. yeah and also on that same tip i mean like time as a construct is so incredibly long and will last forever that you could always technically say you're one of the first to do anything because people will probably do it again after you at some point yeah i mean i just feel like in this case they're definitely using it to their advantage like if you are super into yoga and you're like, I want to learn from the best, I'm going to learn from the people who originated it. And if everyone is saying that they're one of the first, yeah, you know, like. But you could see, like, I and I know this is exactly your point. You can use this to do almost anything to add this fake error of legitimacy where, like, if you were born near the start of computers and had a pretty, uh, uh, a pretty you know, normal life where, where computers were integrated sort of into the way that you did stuff and like schooling, whatever, blah, blah, blah. You could technically say like, I'm one of the first people to master Microsoft Word, Excel and PowerPoint. Have you said that in an interview? People would be like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my dude, God. this yeah. this person I was is fucking one of the legit. first people to try and text somebody using Excel. Like Kelly Rowland's copied me. <laughs> like, exactly. And who could debate you? Who could debate yeah. you? You could, yeah, and you could use it for anything. Like if you were trying to convince somebody you're a good investor and you were on the internet early, you could say like, I was one of the first people to use Twitter. Like so many people could say that. You know, shit like that where if you, you can take pretty much any fact and zhuzh it up in the uh in the way that you word it and i mean take my fucking advice i literally worked for an advertising company turning like i remember being given uh negatives about a product and being like how could we flip these into positives and it's so fucking easy and i legally (laughs) can't give you any examples but it just know that it's so easy it's so easy to do that stuff you just kind of zhuzh up the wording you 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 let go of something else it's that thought process of it's not a bug it's a feature you know yes well and it's banking on people not questioning it and not looking it up yeah which drives me nuts but it's that same thing of like keith rainier being like oh i was one of the first people to win this karate tournament and it's like 
It's the Frank Dukes problem. Like, you know about Bloodsport where Frank Dukes yeah. claims all this stuff. And it's like, you can't prove him wrong. Like, so what do you do? Yeah. But it's like, just Google shit. <laughs> Common sense. Question all your gurus. Yeah. When your guru is like, I was the first person to make cheese fondue. You'd be like, that sounds amazing. I love cheese fondue. This sounds great. Google that. Google that and find out that fondue has been around for hundreds of years. Like, yeah. this is... Yeah. And liars yeah. make up less Googleable shit. All right. I'm calling yeah. it to you. If you're out there and you're a scumbag, start lying better. Come up with things yeah. that are impossible to fucking Google. I've been following. Uh, and if you enjoy uh, my type of crazy dark humor, you should do uh, Sean Barry Parsons, who is a TikTok creator. Hilarious. But he has like a friend that claimed to have won a silver medal in the 1980 Olympics, which is the one that like people boycotted. And he's on like a crusade to prove him wrong. now. <laughs> like, so like if you, if you are coming out of this energy with like a whole, like just fire in your belly about like facts, go check out Sean Barry Parsons. <laughs> um, but it's that same kind of thing of like, why would you lie about this? Oh, Jake and I watched the Nickelodeon documentary the other night and they talked about the like Nick comes to your school and I had like a like a vivid like flashback to a kid at my school said he had won and lied about it and then the school had to announce that he had lied about it and Nickelodeon wasn't coming to our school. It's that. It's like a kid who tells you something and doesn't think you're going to check up on it. Yeah. So. Oh my God. Um, I... I have two things to say. One thing is just like slightly related as far as like recommending uh, content that you might want to watch. And I, I fucking I wish that I could remember what it is, but I'm sure you can find it given this description. There's a guy on TikTok who has a series where he's trying to figure out. So in the movie Taken uh, okay. as a plot point, you remember everyone remembers that the 17 year old daughter of Liam Neeson is going to Europe and goes to Europe. But for whatever reason, no one remembers the reason that she is going to Europe, which is that she is going to follow the band U2 during their European tour. Fucking gross. Yeah. A 17-year-old girl is going to go follow U2. Do you know any 17-year-old girls who have ever been a fan of U2? I don't know. I don't know 30-year-old women who are fans of U2. To be honest, like, I only know one person in my life that's not mad that they can't get that U2 album off their device. Exactly. Exactly. Definitely not a 17 year old. So that's the that's the whole his whole series is trying to figure out why the fuck they picked you (laughs) two as this thing and like doing things where it's like, okay, so based off of this stuff that's context for the movie and when it was filmed, when it was supposed to be contemporary or uh it was supposed to be like taking place during this time. So what was you two doing at that time? Well, they had just released this album, which was not a noticeably good album. So why did they go with you two as opposed to and he's just listening? off pop stars and he's like calling when did taken come out uh taken came out to do in uh 2008 2008 
Fallout Boy was one of the biggest bands in 2008. Exactly. I remember I was a sophomore in college. We followed them on tour around Southern California. There you like, fucking what go. What are you talking about? Panic at the fucking disco. It could have been fucking Beyonce for all I give yeah. a shit. You too. So, yeah, there's this whole. It's, the killers. It's this t- TikTok guy whose whole thing is trying to figure out why they chose you too. And he's like, the first episode I watched was just great like he's calling the production company and being like why did you use you too and they're like are you looking for the licensing information on a song and he's like no i mean literally in the movie she's a 17 year old girl and she's following you too and they're like i'm gonna have to let you go sir he needs to find the screenwriter that yeah. that's who he needs to find is the screenwriter who's probably gonna be like i don't know man uh you know notes from corporate <laughs> Yeah, they it, they shoved it into the movie like they shoved it onto your iPhone. So um, I fucking I oh I have deleted those so many times. Yeah, Ugh. I'm glad. See, that's the thing is I'm glad I have an Android because no one's shoving music I don't want. They're just shoving tons and tons of viruses from porn websites. Yeah, so, and apps. Yeah, exactly. And, and apps, shit. Yeah. Um. So that that's the first thing I wanted to recommend. Secondly, more on brand with Colts. Uh, I've talked about the show before. I absolutely love it. There's a show on HBO Max called How to with John Wilson. Uh, it's an amazing show. It's like half video essay, half documentary, um, all comedy. It's uh done by one of the uh I think he was a producer. I might be wrong, but I know he was one of the big main editors on Nathan for You. Uh, and Nathan for You or Nathan Fielder rather is a uh, an executive producer on the show. Um, so it's very good. But he has an episode in the second season called I think uh How to Get into Wine where uh and none of the episodes ever follow what the title says it's just no, it's a sure. setup for something but within that he talks about uh blindly following people when they tell him things are cool and so when he got into college he joined an acapella group because he couldn't make <laughs> friends and somebody told him that hey that's like a cool thing to do so he does that and then they get invited to this big acapella group uh, like conference and they go there and everyone's talking about the guy that put it together who's like some crazy talent agent guy who like helps people realize their full potential and like he has this awesome uh, uh, acapella group that was just fucking dog shit garbage but because of all the hype that the person who put the festival together did they were they were seen like rock stars to these people who were actually good at acapella and they're talking he was talking about all these crazy things uh that they were able to do for this festival like they had celebrity guest speakers including one person uh very notable on tv at the time allison mack um and the person who put together the festival did so to try to promote their group for helping you realize your full potential is this little thing called Nexium. Nexium, yeah. And so uh, it's this weird thing where it's like, I we've told the story of Keith Raniere. It's a crazy story. There's documentaries about it now, but you can go watch this episode to watch somebody almost fall for Keith Raniere's bullshit in person (laughs) (laughs) and talking about how uh, I just thought that was so hilarious. How the fact that they had already shown an interest in acapella was almost a prerequisite for them being primed to join a cult, which is just (laughs) just fantastic. I mean, 
I'm just gonna question shit. Yeah. That, that's the theme for this episode. Question shit. Question everything. If somebody tells you that they won a silver medal at the 1980 Olympics, the one that everyone boycotted, mm-hmm. question that. If anyone ever tells you that a 17-year-old American girl is going to go to Europe to follow the band U2, <laughs> U2. on a tour, question, question it. it. Question it. Question everything. Um, hey, if you've got a question for us, then you should... I don't know, fucking sit on it and not do anything with it. I mean, ask us totally, but I don't know how this is going to segue into. We have a Patreon, which you can use to support us. Look, tickets to U2 concerts, flights to Europe, uh, bullets, all of these things are very expensive. And we need your help to make this show. And if you want to help us do so, you can go to patreon.com slash cult podcast. Check out all the tiers and rewards we have there. Very fun time. Uh, we have a very particular set of skills. If you do not donate, we will find you and we will go, come on. Please. Oh, did you hear us make the bird noises and the air horns? I want to see you too. <laughs> No, I don't. No, I don't. I don't. Um, Join Patreon so we can see bands that are better than you two. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying to go to When We Were Young, and and it's the, that's no. a whole other thing. <laughs> it's going to be another it's fire, a fire fest, fest waiting yeah, to happen. <laughs> absolutely, it fucking sucks. But yeah, go to Patreon.com/slash Cult Podcast. Also, hey, if you're looking for a new place to listen to the show, can we suggest Rooster Teeth? Cockadoodle doo. Yeah. I will say this. Just like, I will say this, uh, the main concern everyone has about that new festival when we were young is that it's jam-packed with creators, but doesn't give them enough time to fully flesh out their sets. Well, on the opposite side of that, the Rooster Teeth app has a ton of amazing content that you can watch whenever you want to. You can, anytime. And you can uh, download the app on your Amazon Fire Stick, your Roku television, your Xbox, your mobile device. Or you can just go over to that website, roosterteeth.com, baby, and check out all of the great shows that they have there, including ours. Yeah, or follow them on their various TikToks and whatnot. So you can watch Blaine pretend to be a tough guy and then cut his own tongue on a knife that has <laughs> made my husband and I cackle a lot. Yeah. Oh, God, I love that boy so much. Um, Yeah, go check that out. Super great place. Super great way to support the show. Hey, I'm Armando. If you want to follow me, uh, I am on all social media, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, um. Only fans, uh, yoga's are us. Uh, you can find me on, uh, let's see what else, uh, Snapchat, um, and my personal phone number, which is uh, 6969. <laughs> That's gonna be somebody's phone. Don't call that number. No, please don't. We don't don't know who it is. I absolutely do not torture that person. I'm probably going to, I'll bleep it out before I send you the file. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. (sighs) You can find me on social media at Mondo Does Stuff. M A N D O Does Stuff. Um, Go check me out. I'm there. Also, hey, I'm Twitch streaming regularly now. I'm holding myself accountable to doing it more because I enjoy it and I'm having a blast doing it. On Tuesdays at 8 p.m. Pacific time, I am making music. Uh, The last stream that we did, I accidentally fucked around and recorded a banger. 
Um, so you never know what's going to happen. I make flips. I make remixes. I make songs from scratch. It's a super cool time, and I hope to see you there on Thursdays, also at 8 p.m. I do Goofs and Games. Uh, p- previous Goofs and Games, I've played Far Cry 5, where it's a cult uh, centric story and I've gone around playing trying to play baseball in it Paige Wesley and I did uh, um, oh, fuck, Visage. What's Visage that fucking dumbass stupid game fucking bullshit we had to fight the ghost of Ray Romano fucking bullshit ass game uh, and those normally if I'm feeling like it I will take them record them and then edit them and put them out as YouTube videos and you can be there for the fruition of the, the content so come on through uh, my Twitch is twitch.tv slash Mondo does stuff. That's Tuesdays and Thursdays at 8 p.m. Pacific time or I don't know. What is that? 10 Central, 11 Eastern. Yep. Cool. Thank you. I love you. Good night. Goodbye. Mwah. Hey, and you never know, la- last Thursday, uh, both Eric Badur of Rooster Teeth fame and me were just in the chat fucking shit up. So, like, Absolutely. you never know who's going to show yeah, up. Yeah, Eric Badur was in there just being a scumbag with me. You were there. Fucking Rick was in the chat. And I was, the the point of the last stream that I did was I ate 100 milligrams worth of THC and played a scary game. And I had to. F- yeah, just, you did it gradually. So you just became more and more unhinged. And- and eventually we're trying to figure out how to soda stream hot dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it completely st- it stopped being any sense of of, of normal. <laughs> you stopped playing the game for a full 10 plus minutes to Google soda streams and to try and Amazon yourself hot dogs. Yeah. And my husband walked through the room and was like, what the fuck are you watching? And I'm like, I'm watching, uh, I think Armando loses mind, maybe. <laughs> Yeah, it's a fun time. I might have to cut that video down because <laughs> uh, I think that was some some primo shit right there. But yeah, roll through Tuesdays, Thursdays, 8 p.m. Pacific time. Come on out. Thank you. Hey, it's your girl, Paige. Uh, again, Roast Battle is not canceled yet. Woo-hoo! So Thursday, January 27th at Madame Siam in Hollywood. Uh, I will also be uh, doing some comedy with Crystal Adams on February 18th in Santa Cruz. So keep your eyes on social media for those dates, as well as if you want to listen to my voice more. I mean, that's your choice, Mm -hmm. Uh, but you can listen to it on Horror Virgin, Romancing the Pod, Black Card Rehab. Right now, Horror Virgin is on a quest to get sponsored by Wingstop. So we have been tweeting at Wingstop repeatedly. If you'd like to join us in this quest to manifest more lemon pepper into our lives, please tweet at Wingstop and ask them to sponsor Horror Virgin. And if you want to follow me on social media, you can find me at Paige Wesley on Twitter or at Rampage Wesley on Instagram and TikTok. Uh, love you, mean it. Bye. There you go. Hey, if you want to support our show, follow us on Instagram. You can at Cult Podcast. Or at Cult Podcast Show on Twitter. You can also send us an email to cultpodcastshow at gmail.com. And if you want to send us one of the first packages <laughs> we've ever received, <laughs> you can send that to 3756 West Avenue 40, Sweet K, number 237. Like the like Shining. Like the Shining, Los Angeles, California, 90065. And I think for this one, I'm going to say don't drink 
whatever it is that's making that guy live to 120. That's just too long to live. <laughs> Absolutely. Think of all the taxes you'll be paying. Yeah. I'm going to say do drink whatever he's not drinking. Mm -hmm. Like if it's straight vodka, but you can peace out at like 85, 90, go for that. Hell shit. yeah, baby. Uh, and don't drink the Kool-Aid. Bye. Bye. Yeah.